Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. And welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and we're sitting here in the luxurious corner booth at the Catholic Cafe. I'm saying we because... Here's Tom Dorian. Hi, Tom. Hello, Dick and Jeff. Tom, did you hear that noise as, as we are sitting here outside? Was that that coffee cup that we were clanging around here? No, that was uh, that motorcycle. Did you oh, hear yeah. the motorcycle? Yeah. Biker Bob is in Biker town. Biker Bob is in town. Not only in town. He's in the cafe. He's in the cafe. Oh, my word. He's in the booth. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Biker Bob is here. <laughs> what a deal. We're going to have Biker Bob uh, help us to answer some questions. We need all the help we can get. That's exactly right. So, Bob Nicholas, welcome to the luxurious corner booth at the Catholic Cafe. Thank you for having me. You need to speak into the microphone. That's what the big thing in front of you is. This is radio. For those of you who can read lips. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be doing sign for today's show. (laughs) Wonderful. So, uh, what we're going to do today is we have a wonderful uh, show planned for us today. Uh, They're always sh- wonderful. They are always wonderful, but this is um, wonderfuler. Wonderfuler. Ooh, yeah, there's that's a word. Wonderfuler. More, that it's more, I think that's more. Well, it is now. Okay. Uh, it's in the Catholic Cafe Dictionary. So <laughs> over the process of our little ministry here, we have uh, encountered many, many questions. We've had people email questions. We've had people... Uh, uh, stop us in grocery store lines. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Does that really and, happen? That, uh, yes. that has happened? Yes. That's happens awesome. all the time. Restaurants. That's right. So uh, what we decided to do was just do a couple of shows. At least this show is going to be on several of the questions that we've gotten, uh, sort of in a brief format, mm-hmm. just kind of touch on those things to help people along the way of understanding what the Catholic Church teaches. Great idea. Yeah. So we're going to go just... Biker Bob, are you ready? <laughs> I am. I am. I fully. Now I'm sitting in the seat. Now I'm here. It took me a minute. I had to get the booster seat out of the way. So you can take. <laughs> I am now. The booster seat was for you. The booster seat was for me. Well, <laughs> you know, planning ahead makes all the difference. I understand. So, <laughs> well, let's get started. Yes. So, our first question Why do we Catholics have a body on our cross? Wasn't Christ resurrected? Shouldn't the cross be empty? Now, this was an interesting uh, question that I got. I actually just recently got it at a. Uh, uh, a talk I was giving, but then also I encountered someone while I was going through the airport. The wonderful security person uh, saw me take a crucifix out of my pocket hmm. and put it in the little. It was all metal. Mm-hmm. It was a big, heavy metal thing, and it was put it in the little tub to go through the X-ray machine. Right. And she was so sweet, and she said, "Now, don't you know that he's not on there anymore?" Wow, you know, she said that, That's and awesome. she said now she said it in a real sweet way. It wasn't she wasn't being mean or anything, uh, and she wasn't certainly violating any government regulations. I don't think, but you know, it was a good question, and yeah. and so uh, you know, you don't have a lot of time in that scenario. No, so, not that one. Not if you no. don't want a mob jumping down upon you. <laughs> well, you're trying to catch an airplane too. <laughs> That's true. I had a little more time when I was at that talk, you know, to to give that answer, but uh, so. Biker Bob, what is your what's your thought about that? Well, uh, I also carry a crucifix in my pocket, and I think it's important um, that we remember that we do agree Jesus is resurrected, and it's important that we uh, we affirm the statement that the lady made to you in the airport that yes, we do believe he's resurrected. I'm aware of that. Uh, the The old New Testament is devoted to sort of the after effects of that that act, um, but it's also important to remember the sacrifice that took place. Uh, what Christ did for us, and that is a very that is 
the reason Christ came, the reason uh, God sent his only son, was to uh, remove our sins and to, to provide a way for us to get into heaven. And so uh, the crucifixion is that act. It is that bearing of our sins. And so the reason we have a, a uh, crucifix in a Catholic church or in our pockets, per se, is that we want to honor and remember that act as well, um, as much as we are aware of the resurrection. Absolutely. I think, you know, that that Paschal mystery, the suffering, the death, the resurrection of Christ, is like it's the quintessential moment in human history. It's the most important thing that's ever happened uh, to humankind. You know, and that's and that's something we want to be reminded of mm-hmm. constantly. And you know what? It's interesting um, when you uh, when you're watching television, you watch the uh, uh, any sports event. You know, what's that sign they hang John up? John three sixteen. John three sixteen. You know, and John three sixteen says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life." Essentially, the fact that God gave His only Son. I mean, that's the crucifixion. Right. That's the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that, that paid the price for all of our sins. That in and of itself is the crucifix. That's yeah. a verbal version of the crucifix. So as Catholics, we're just saying John 3.16 when we see our crucifix. Yeah, Now, absolutely. when I was talking to that lady going through the, uh, the line, mm-hmm. when I was going through that line, the first thing I said to her was, well, you know, uh, St. Paul told the Corinthians in his first letter that we preach Christ crucified. You know, and if you think about that, yes, we preach Christ crucified. That's because this is the most important event in the history of mankind. Another way to look at it is if you were to, Bob, you talked about being reminded of this event by seeing the crucifix. When we look upon the cross, the crucifix, the corpus of Christ, the body of Christ, when we look at that body, we're reminded of the suffering that he went through for our sakes. If you've seen a good movie, a great movie, one that just makes you... Uh, emotionally, uh, just it just captures your emotions. It takes you into this movie, and you you cry at the end, or whatever, or you're elated or joyful. You don't want to just see that movie one time. Every once in a while, you want to be reminded of that. You want to watch it again. You mm-hmm. want to watch it again and again. In fact, you can. I still cry in the last scene of It's a Wonderful Life. Tom, do you? <laughs> Maybe not. But I still. I, I bet you that's your favorite. I show. love it when all those people come in Makes and sense. they're all. It's a wonderful you know, life. It is a wonderful life. <laughs> yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. and the point is, I want to watch that movie over and over again. Yeah. In the same way, I want to be reminded of what Jesus Christ did for me personally on that cross, and that's why Catholics will have a, a crucifix. Now, I have heard someone say. That uh, that that was a sort of a form of idolatry because they'll sometimes see a Catholic maybe uh, kissing the feet of Jesus on the cross or uh, holding the cross in a very reverential way as if that cross was the uh, focus of our attention, the focus of our adoration and worship. And, of course, uh, what do we say to that? Well, absolutely not. I mean, we're not focusing our, our uh, adoration, our worship, our uh, love on the object of uh, what's in our pocket or what's hanging in a church. They're beautiful reminders. They point us to the act. Uh, and just, you know, the same way we would look at a, a cross that does not have a, a, a corpus on it. You know, it would remind us of the resurrection or of Jesus. You know, you see that on a bumper sticker. When you see that bumper sticker and there's a cross on there, what does it remind you of? You don't think, oh, I need to buy milk. You think, oh, Jesus, <laughs> you know, and, and it calls you to... To remind, to remember what what it is that that, that picture reminds you of. Well, let's go on. We have an email uh, that I got from Lindsay in Ohio, and it says, "Do Catholics have to believe in purgatory? In other words, is there obligation there?" 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, the short answer is yes. Absolutely, the Catholics have to believe. And and just to understand, we now we do have a Catholic cafe show on purgatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, Above Average Bill was on that Above show. Above Average Catholic great show. Bill Drennan was mm-hmm. on that show with One us. The all time classics. Mm-hmm. And so we talk all-time about classics. we talk about. Of course, we talk about purgatory uh, being the uh, you know that first of all that it's not a place. It's a process, purgation, mm-hmm. and it's where where the last vestiges of our attachment to sin are are burned away, are taken away from us. Because Revelation, the book of Revelation tells us in chapter 21, verse 27, but nothing unclean shall enter heaven. It tells us that. And so this is part of that, that purgation or that removal of the stain uh, of, the, of, the, of the sins that we've committed and, and, and have had. Uh, forgiven through our lifetime, that stain, that attachment to that sin is is burned away, mm-hmm. uh, and so we understand that process. I, I think I called it a holy car wash when we were uh, <laughs> when we were doing that show in purgatory. So yes, as Catholics, we have to believe that purgatory exists, that the process is there, and why? Because the Church teaches that. Mm-hmm. Now, however, you don't have to go to purgatory; you have a choice, and <laughs> you can live a holy and uh, pure life and never have to go to purgatory. Uh, but, you know, in this day and age, it's kind of hard. I'm Looking at myself, I'm thinking, oh, I'm praying for purgatory. Yeah, I, I'm hoping for purgatory. That's right. And <laughs> if, you, if, if you are going to purgatory, if you are going to be purgated, you're in, you're you're in. in heaven. Because mm-hmm. yeah. the next step beyond uh, purgation is, is heaven. Yeah. You can't go to purgatory and then go backwards to hell. And Deacon Jeff, you know, again in Revelation, in the very last chapter of the book, the very last page of my Bible, uh, which is chapter 22, verse 14 says, Blessed are they who wash their robes so as to have the right to the tree of life and enter the city through its gates. And so again, we hear about a washing of the robes, you know, a purification process, uh, which harkens us back to the Old Testament of uh, nothing unclean can be in the presence of God or, or in the Holy of Holies, per se, in the Jewish rite. And it's okay not to want to go to purgatory, though. Absolutely. It's just not okay to teach or to believe that, that doesn't purgatory exist. doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that would be heretical. I mean, that would be the church mm-hmm. says it is, and you say it isn't. That would be a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be problematic. And, of course, we also know that, you know, based on the definition of the word truth, if the church says something is true, and it is true, and it's defined as true by the church, it's still true whether or not you believe that it's true. Right. So, you know, we can deny the world is round all we want. Mm-hmm. But it's still round. And I think it's important, you know, what we're talking about here is not necessarily the, the theology behind purgatory, but the fact that her question is, do we have to believe in it? And and, and we do. We are obliged to believe in it because we are members of one body within the church. Um, but your show on purgatory is great. Uh, Above Average Bill does a, a phenomenal job. But there's also a lot of, of information in the catechism. Uh, that will help you understand that teaching, too. Absolutely. In fact, all the things that we talk about on the Catholic Cafe are going to be backed up by the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So if you don't have one of those, you need to get one of those because it really does answer a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Now, we are going to continue on. We've gotten through a couple of questions. We've got several more to do. Uh, but before we do that, I do want to remind folks at home that we do have a wonderful website to visit. That's www.thecatholiccafe.com. There are links to wherever you need to go to learn more about the church. And you can listen to this show and other shows in MP3 format, download them, you can podcast, etc. Also, I'd like you to contact me, uh, Deacon Jeff, at thecatholiccafe.com. So, if you've got a question that you want answered, you'll want to stay tuned.
Drzemski, and this is another great moment in church history. As Jesus and the two thieves hung upon their crosses, Roman soldiers came to break the legs of the crucified to hasten death, as nightfall was approaching. When they came to Jesus, however, they found that he was already dead. The Gospel of John tells us in chapter 19, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth that you also may believe. John does not name the soldier who pierced the side of Christ, but Catholic tradition has known him to be St. Longinus, and many stories surrounding St. Longinus, bordering on legend, have survived over the centuries. It is told that St. Longinus, who was nearly blind, was miraculously healed as the blood and water that flowed from the lance wound of Jesus fell into his eyes. This caused him to exclaim, Indeed, this was the Son of God, as recorded in the Gospel of Mark. It is said that St. Longinus was so moved by the events of Christ's crucifixion and his own healing that he converted to Christianity on the spot. The story continues that St. Longinus then withdrew from military service, spent time receiving instruction from the apostles, and lived the remainder of his life a holy man in the region of Cappadocia, now modern Turkey. Legend has it he was imprisoned for his Christian faith and his teeth and tongue were removed so that he could not proclaim the gospel to his fellow prisoners. But miraculously and much to the amazement of those who imprisoned him, he was still able to speak the truths of the faith in a clear, fearless voice. He was eventually beheaded and his relics now rest in San Agostino, the Church of St. Augustine in Rome. The relic of the Holy Lance that pierced the side of the crucified Lord can be found in one of the four great pillars that rise above the main altar in the Basilica of St. Peter. Whether or not the events put forth regarding St. Longinus happened exactly as tradition tells us is unsure. But what can be said with surety is that any man who stood at the foot of the cross of Christ and witnessed the death of the Son of God and the Savior of the world would be a changed man. He could never be the same again. I'm Bester Zimski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back at the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff. Still Deacon Jeff. I haven't changed my name yet. I haven't done anything I don't think I've had to change my name for. Tom, don't, don't change that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Tom, I noticed you've got a coffee mug in front of you and you there's know, something we got a, written on it. got an evil look from Charlotte, too, uh, for not mentioning her name in the first half of the uh, program today. She took the time to write her name on that you know, coffee mug. <laughs> they're getting creative, aren't they? Yeah. They're starting to write on the uh, coffee cups and china and everything else. So, Charlotte, we... We've got your name on the air now. I'm waiting for the time when we have the same waitress we've had before. We've had a different waitress every show. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of turnover here at the Catholic Cafe. Not really. We Not have really. high standards. No, they they just they just rotate shifts and oh, you know okay. if you hear all that background there there's some there's some oh there's some donuts flying. And going yeah. on. Okay, we got some coffee yeah. cups being served. Yeah. 
And so Biker Bob is still here. Although you won't you won't be Biker Bob for much longer. You're getting rid of your bike. Well, not yet. Okay, you're I, thinking I, you're ruminating. I, I am ruminating. I'm considering. You're asking for inspiration from the Holy Spirit on whether or not you should sell your bike. Yes, and my wife. And your wife. <laughs> I understand. I understand. We won't go any further. Um, so we got some more questions to answer. Uh, here's a question that I want to an- have answered. Um, I've had asked several times. What's the difference between contraception and NFP or natural family planning? Don't they have the same goal? And that goal would be not getting pregnant. Why is one sinful and the other not sinful? Wow. Because if the goal is not to get pregnant, is, isn't the church against that? No. Oh, but they're not. They're not. I think the church is, is, is uh, what, this is a, such a beautiful teaching. You know, the, the teaching on uh, being open to life is one of the teachings that made me yearn to be Catholic because it's such a unitive act. And that's what the, the church teaches, that the marital act is a unitive act, and it must be complete. And if one party holds back, uh, then the unitive act is not complete, and there's a lack of intimacy. There's a that's sort of saying, like, I want to be married to you. I want to live with you. Uh, forever, you know, as long as we're on earth, and I and I want to worship in front of the throne of God with you, but um, this one part of me you can't have. Right, and, that's and a, that's the teaching on contraception, and we have a, another wonderful show with Sister Francine on contraception right. mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. talks about in detail all those things you're saying, and especially that part about you're you're talking about this being. Uh, not only a unitive but a procreative act. Right. That those two elements need to be present in the marital act. And and I think the difference is that contraception uh, prevents the unitive act from completion, and NFP doesn't prevent anything from completing. It just uh, allows you to control when you choose to uh, to partake in that act, when you choose to engage in the marital act. And so, uh, it, it, it NFP is a natural um, physical monitoring program, if you will, uh, in which the, the woman and man monitor the woman's uh, body and, and, and what cycles she's going through and yeah, what behavior you say, she's having. you say the word natural, and, right. and that speaks of the natural law. Right. It's of nature. Uh, it's what God intended. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about contraception. Well, now you're talking about uh, contra, interfering. not concepting. Mm-hmm. So you're interfering. You have a, mm-hmm. it's called, uh, We also call it a barrier method, right. you know, something that's physically blocking or, mm-hmm. or preventing uh, – conception from happening and so then it becomes an unnatural process and i can say that uh for me you know my wife and i uh we practice nfp and there's an intimacy involved in the process and it enriches your marriage Um, you've got to have a conversation absolutely yeah and and it has to be it doesn't say that you um you know we catholics don't say when you get married you can't use contraception so that catholics can have 30 kids that is not the purpose for the uh, the church's teaching on contraception or the lack thereof. It, the teaching is that you have to be open to life, that God created man and woman to marry for a purpose. When you do get married, when that is your vocation, you get married for a purpose, and that purpose is unity and procreation. And if you block that, well, you're really preventing God's creation from working. And we could also say, we, we, do, we do need to point out, I think, that, that there is an opportunity to see perhaps an improper use of natural family planning that if you have if you get married and say you know what the church says i can't use a contraceptive you know the church says i can't use this Mm -hmm. however we don't want to have kids so we never want to have children we're going to get married we want to enjoy the unitive aspect of our lovemaking but we don't want to have children and so we're going to use this natural family planning method Mm -hmm. now there might be some sinfulness there because you're close to life right 
So you have to be careful that natural family planning doesn't turn into contraception, that it doesn't turn into anti-life measures. And, and also keep in mind, there, that's the extreme. You know, the, the, the steward, the, the piece of, that, of natural family planning that involves good stewardship is, is the family planning part, making sure that you're open to life and that you're able to properly care for that life and that you're able to rear that life in, in the faith and in, 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 uh, provide shelter and food and all that. If you can't do that, well, then that's a, an acceptable reason to abstain. Into, and to not engage in the marital act when the woman would, you know, possibly uh, conceive. And so natural family planning allows a natural way to properly grow your family in God's eyes. It's not, uh, like you said, it's not a barrier. It's an openness to one another. Beautiful. Wonderful. All right. So now we have an email. And this email is, uh, in fact, it's dusty. I'm going to blow the dust off this email. This came from Dave in Memphis. And it's, I apologize to Dave. He emailed me a long time ago. You should be ashamed of yourself. But I will say this, too, in, in your defense. This is a very common question. I get this question all the time. That's right. And we, we're going to answer this question on this program. Well, we hope we can. So listen up, Dave. Why does the Catholic Church not allow non-Catholics to receive communion? Wow. It seems like we have a closed-door policy. We have... Uh, uh, I, I remember being at a meeting once. I uh, was talking to somebody, and they were a Methodist. Uh, and they said that they were personally offended because they went to a funeral of a Catholic friend. And that mean priest got up there and said, if you're not Catholic, you can't receive communion. They thought this was extremely unwelcoming. Mm-hmm. You know, in a time of grief, you'd think that the church would welcome people into the church and into communion with, with this entire group and they sort of saw it then as sort of like a secret handshake and, and a little club that they weren't allowed to participate in. And part of that, too, is is if you go to their communion service, mm-hmm. they are going to welcome you, and it's open to everybody there. So I think that's where that that offense comes from. But so, there is a reason for that. So, well, Bob, where do we uh, where, where do we where do we how do we answer that? Well, that's a it's a very dangerous question <laughs> because the way in which we answer it, we we want to make sure that we uh, we make clear why it is that we are uh, saying that they shouldn't receive. Uh, it has nothing to do with that we don't desire for them to be in unity with us. Because we do. Uh, your Methodist friend, uh, we absolutely desire to be in union with him. Um, but the, the deal is that um, the teaching, would, in, in my mind, would be that in the Methodist church, uh, let's just use this as an example, they're saying this is a representation. This is a, a way to remember what occurred. Um, they're not proclaiming this this piece of bread to actually be the body of Christ. So it's about what we believe the Eucharist is, not so much the the act of receiving something. Right. It's what we're receiving that we're talking about. Exactly. You need to change the focus. The focus is not necessarily on those who would remain in the pew and not receive. The focus is on what is being received. Because some people will look at it from from a, if you're a non-Catholic, you might look at the Catholic receiving communion and you would see it as, uh, as a doctor withholding medicine, if we truly believe this is medicinal, mm-hmm. then that doctor is being cruel by not giving penicillin to the to the person that needs it. Or if it's a starving and hungry person, that the the uh, person with all of the goods is not sharing with the person that needs right to have that. Well, and as a convert attending mass, uh, you know, for the first couple of times, uh, as a pro- as a Protestant, as a as a non denominational Christian, and, and sitting in the pew and not receiving. You know, there is an emotional, uh, you know, a physiological sort of, you know, disconnect that you might have. And it might where he says he's offended. It's probably he's feeling left out where in his church he feels, you know, very much included. And I think that it's just really very important to remember that 
the reason I'm not receiving this is not because they said I couldn't. The reason I'm not receiving this is because I don't believe it is what they say it is. You know, I, I attended a Baptist church for a while, and I, I did not receive uh, the communion uh, when we passed it around. These trays that were passed around with little things of grape juice and, and, and a wafer. And, and I, I chose not to partake in communion because I was not in communion with this community of believers. I did not fully understand and believe everything that they did. Well, we call it Holy Communion, mm-hmm. and the word itself bespeaks of what we speak. Bespeaks. You know, come. Right, that's right. That's my fancy language. Okay. Come with mm-hmm. and Add that to union, with union, in union. If you're mm-hmm. in union, if you believe all that the church teaches, you are what we call in full communion. It's a play on words, but, it, but it's a very meaningful play on words. You receive communion if you're in communion. And if you receive communion and you're not in communion, perhaps there's a little bit of falsehood there. Right. And also it's important to remember that, um, you know, and we can read in Corinthians this, if, if, a, if a Catholic uh, who is a member of the church is in a state of mortal sin, then we should refrain from receiving the same Eucharist because we do not, we, we're not in communion. But it's not only about being in a state of mortal sin, as you put it. It's really any serious breach in harmony with church teaching. For instance, if you're a pro-choice Catholic or you're actively contracepting, you've chosen not to live the Catholic faith. And when that happens, we're no longer in union, so we should not approach for communion. So when we receive the Eucharist as an active, practicing Catholic and the good graces of the church, we're really actually assenting to all that our church professes, not just some of it, but all of it. When we approach at Mass and we hear the body of Christ, we say amen, which means so be it. I agree with everything. Right, and let, let me just read this very quickly. In 1 Corinthians verse 27 through 29, it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. And I think it's important. Let a man examine himself. That's right. St. Paul told us that. Mm-hmm. And, and those are important words. And those are part of the Catholic teaching Absolutely. on receiving communion. So I hope, Dave, that helps you understand why the Catholic Church teaches what she does about uh, Holy Communion and Eucharist. In fact, I hope all the folks that heard perhaps their question answered uh, got something out of this. Uh, we have many more questions which have been asked, which we have not been able to cover today, but we promise that we'll do another show like this so that we can answer those questions. Good. Um, so, well, you know, with that then, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, we're going to close in prayer like we always do. Heavenly Father, you are the source of all love, all life, and all hope, and you fervently desire that we should come to know you. Help us to put away our doubts and answer all our questions. Through your eternal mercy, help us to see your church as a beacon of truth in a world of uncertainty. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.